Hey, everybody. Welcome to another Baseball America podcast. I'm Kyle Glazer. It's been a very, very, very busy day in baseball. A lot going on, virtual winter meetings. There are some free agent rumors and rumblings happening. Some trades have been completed recently. Rule 5 draft is coming up. A lot of teams are getting prepared for that. But the biggest news of the day, Major League Baseball announced the 119 teams who have received invitations to be a part of the revamped minor leagues moving forward. There's a reason that number is 119 and not 120. We will get into that later. Joining us to talk about all this is J.J. Cooper. J.J. broke the story over a year ago that Major League Baseball was looking to do this reorganization. He's been on top of this story from start to finish and broke the news of which 119 affiliates were receiving their invitations this morning. J.J., there's been a lot of people waiting to see which teams would receive those invitations to be a part of the new player development system moving forward. It's important to keep in mind these are just invitations. This does not lock in what the new minor leagues will look like. At the same time, it's pretty significant. We now know the bulk of the teams who have at least been invited, who are the first choices, if you will. Looking at the big picture, what does today mean, and what are we looking at moving forward? It it means that we are much closer to understanding publicly the structure of what the minor leagues will look like in in 2021. And I think the way you worded it was really good there, which is these are invites. These are not final. There have been a a team or two. The Wilmington Blue Rocks came out and said, we accept the invitation, which in essence is saying we accept a contract that we haven't seen the full, the full and final details of, which is, you know, their right to do, but I don't expect a lot of teams to do that. There is uh, from the reporting I have, you know, and I'll have more up at baseballamerica.com, it is not a slam dunk that there will be 120 teams who will say yes to this. It is very possible that somewhere there may be teams who say, yep, we received the invitation. Yep, we received the license. We received the contract. And we can't sign it for whatever reason it is. You know, the financials don't work for us. The travel's too much, whatever it is. Again, I don't have an answer for what that would be yet, but there is an expectation out there that there very well could be teams who say no. And those teams that say no would very likely go to some other league, an independent, well, excuse me, a professional partner league or something else. But there, that could happen. I would say also with that, there are teams that are sitting there that are outside of the 120 right now, the 119, which will become 120, that are kind of... I would describe them, they're, they're in the dugout and they've got a bat. And if the, the manager says, go on out there, you know, you could see you have teams that could very well jump into the 120. I, the, the obvious one at the start, Trenton has already announced that they're in the Major League Baseball Draft League, which is a Summerwood Bat League. But Trenton is a team that everyone I talk to in Major League Baseball teams on the team side is like, no, that's a solid facility. It's geography is good. And I actually have had teams tell me, like, if we'd have known that Trenton was available, maybe we'd have looked at Trenton, you know, because it matches what we're looking for. If a team says no on the East Coast, I would not be shocked at all if Trenton ended up in the 120, even though they are clearly and very publicly out of the 120 right now. 
Again, it's very important to remember, these are invitations, nothing is locked in yet. The next step is Major League Baseball will present professional development licenses to these 119 invitees. They will choose to sign it, or as you said, they could say no, and they're going to go their own way, maybe field an independent league team because they don't like the terms of that professional development license. A lot of these teams have not seen those PDLs. They don't know what's in them. With that, how realistic is it that we will have teams that say no to these invitations? I haven't talked to anyone the last few days who doesn't expect that to be at least a very strong possibility. Now, I'll have a better answer for that when everyone who's involved in minor league baseball on the owner's side has seen the PDL, the full details. From my reporting, there is a explanation of it that came out today i've got to do a lot more reporting to have an understanding of what's in that but so we could get we could have a better answer to that very soon but i I, again i i bring up the trenton things partly because i think major league baseball has backup plans because they have that thought now we've got an example technically again we'll talk about the 121.19 technically fresno has not officially received an invite, but there's a reason that they've been going back and forth with Fresno over the last couple of weeks, which is Major League Baseball has, ex- has laid out to the Fresno Grizzlies, you will not be part of AAA baseball in 2021. However, you have the opportunity to be a low class A California league team. That's, even if there wasn't an official invite there, they are the Rockies low A affiliate if the city of Fresno and the Fresno Grizzlies say yes. But they could say no. And if they say no, then you're moving on down the list, which in this case would likely, I don't want to say assuredly, but likely mean that Lancaster, which is currently in the California League and would be on the outs if Fresno says yes, Lancaster would very likely receive that invite because you have to have an even number of California League teams when this is all said and done. Given that being affiliated with a major league franchise greatly increases the value of these minor league franchises and the fact that if you're affiliated, that means player salaries, coach salaries are paid for by the major league team. If you're not, that means it's paid for by the minor league team. From the outside looking in, even though the PDLs might have somewhat unfavorable conditions, just the fact that saying no means your franchise value likely goes down and your costs go up, you have to pay the players and coaches you've reported in the past, that could be anywhere from an additional three hundred to $400,000 in expenses. It seems like it would still be highly likely most teams would sign the PDL even under unfavorable conditions. Where would something come up where they say, you know what, we're not going to do this? Okay, a couple examples. And I don't say, I'm not saying, let me make clear. I, I've asked that exact question to people and this is what I've heard back doesn't mean any of these is in there, but it does mean it could be. Um, let's take an example where, okay, we just talked about $300,000 dollars $400,000 in expenses to have a full season, you know, pay the players and coaches in a full season league. Um, let's say that all of a sudden in this, you find that the travel requirements are such that your travel, I've heard a lot of estimates that travel is going to go up 100 to 100, travel and hotel, it's going to go up 100 to $150,000 for minor league teams, especially at the lower levels of the minors. If you had one bus before, which is generally around $1,000 a day, now you're going to pay two. That's $2,000 a day. If you had 
the number of hotel rooms you had before now goes up by three. So that's another $225, $250 a day that it goes up. Okay, that's within the realm of, okay, the expenses go up a little bit. But there are also travel requirements here that say, if you're over a certain amount of mileage, you got to fly. Well, if you have to fly and you're a class A team, all of a sudden, what was a $2,000 bus trip becomes a ten dollars or $12,000 flight for your team. The numbers on that could start to equal up to three hundred, four hundred thousand dollars $400,000 in the most extreme examples. More significantly, there's business aspects of this that have not been fully, you know, that at least as my reporting as of yet, teams aren't fully sure of. MILB teams have explained to MLB, yes, we understand we're going to have a partnership here. You're going to sell national advertising. We want you to sell national advertising. We would love to have sponsors who are paying significant money to be in all the minor league baseball markets. And we all will receive money from that. And MLB, a 50-50 split is the original plan on this. 50-50 revenue split between the teams and MLB after expenses are taken out by MLB. But one of the questions that minor league teams have on that is, okay, so what are, your, what are the areas that you are saying you exclusively sell? Pouring rights, for example, is a very important big deal to minor league teams. When I say pouring rights, I mean, are you a Coca-Cola team or are you a Pepsi team? More importantly, probably, are you an Anheuser-Busch team? Are you a local brewery team? Whatever that is, okay, that's very important to teams. If MLB said, nope, pouring rights are all ours, that would be something that teams would look at and say, I don't know about that. If you said financial services are something that MLB is only going to exclusively going to sell. If MLB said eight of your wall signs are ours, which would be for many teams, $200,000 a year in revenue, that would be something where, again, it doesn't mean anything things are going to happen, but there could be business aspects of this where they say, you know what, I've run the numbers. And if I go to this independent league or this partner league over here, I'll make extra money. The franchise valuation part is a very important part because there's a question of MLB has said that their plans in this is, is that at the end of a 10 year license, you could be in compliance, but MLB decides to go somewhere else, but there's going to be a buyout provision. Well, what's that buyout provision going to be? Is it going to be one that is at a number that ML, ML, MILB teams feel is reasonable? Or is it going to be at a number much lower than that where they think, okay, actually I don't have any more franchise valuation in minor league, minor league baseball versus independent or professional partner league baseball because they're artificially devaluing my franchise valuation. There's a lot of other permutations too, but those are a couple of examples of things that could be showstoppers in a professional development license. When do we expect the professional development licenses to be extended to these teams? And what's the timeline we're looking at for them to say yes or no and the minor leagues to be fully locked in? MLB has sent out a memo that says that they expect to announce league structure and to be honest, schedules, I would expect around the same time, will come out when the 120 PDLs, which we expect to be distributed in the next couple of weeks, when those are all returned and agreed to. So like every, all 120 teams that they're looking for, or let's say five teams Vok, they found five replacements and those teams have signed. When they have the 120, then they'll announce everything. MLB, the memo that they sent out to their team says they expect that time frame for that final announcement to be 
late January or early February. So not anytime soon is, is the answer that I would give. And that's actually quite difficult to, for many MILB teams because they, to say that they want to schedule, they don't want to schedule now. They wanted to schedule last August. So, you know, they wanted to schedule months ago. I, I hear a different arguments. One side is, are you really selling a whole lot of groups right now? Are you really selling, you know, a lot when teams don't, when fans don't know what the coronavirus situation is going to be like in April, May, June, July? The other argument I've heard, and this is a good one, is if you're a AAA team, you want to schedule so you can start booking flights. Because the later that you go before you get a schedule, the more expensive the flights are going to be. And I've had teams explain it to me this way, which is, is if you go too late with this, we may be coming back and saying, by the way, we can't get from here to there on that day. We've got eight tickets on this plane. We've got seven on that one, but we've got a 33 person traveling party and we don't have enough available seats on any planes that are going from here to there in the time frame that we need to get there. So there are a lot of factors that make this difficult, but it still seems like the end point of this is not a week or two away. The end point is more likely a month, a month and a half away. Part of completing this is solidifying who the 120th team that's going to receive an invitation is. You mentioned it earlier. The Rockies low A affiliate is currently to be determined. No formal invitation has been extended there. Fresno was a AAA team. Major League Baseball wants them to become a low A team. The city of Fresno there's been some back and forth. They've engaged in negotiations. And depending on how that goes, Fresno will either be team number 120 or there will be someone else, Lancaster being the most natural landing spot. What is going to be the biggest thing that determines if Fresno is the 120? And then take us through the process of, okay, they fall through. How does Major League Baseball approach Lancaster? And also, in general, how is this process going to play out for other teams in terms of, hey, a team dropped out, now we have to go find another team. The, the one in Fresno is the trickiest one right now. I mean, clearly, they, I, I think MLB wanted to announce that they had invited 120 teams today. And they, they, may, have invite, they may have announced that they invited 100. Well, I guess I shouldn't say MLB announced. MLB wanted to send out 120 invitation stakes. MLB hasn't officially announced anything yet. But MLB wanted to send out 120 invitations, I believe and they didn't have Fresno's resolve to send. They wanted to maybe, like I'd heard originally, December 1, December 2 could have been the date. And what was the holdup? Well, they didn't have Fresno's to send. They gave a week deadline, a one-week deadline extension to say, Fresno, we can resolve this, let's resolve this. And nothing happened to resolve it in that week. And here we stand, here we sit, you know, having sent out 119 invitations. I don't know what makes it budge. I, I do think... From what I understand, the, the lease as they currently have, um, you know, is probably higher than what the, uh, you know, the, the team would want to pay in, in low class A. But if I'm the city, you know, the city's still paying off the stadium too. So I don't know if there's an easy resolution to that. That's probably the complicated one that way. On the other hand, I, there's a lot of unknowns. Like, okay, will MLB negotiate at all? If I'm, again, so let's, there's a lot of ways this could go from here. If you're minor league baseball, minor league baseball is still an entity at this point. There still is a minor league baseball board of trustees. There still is a minor league baseball negotiating committee. MLB is setting up their own system, but all these teams that they're inviting are part of this structure. 
or I should say all but three, three teams, St. Paul, Somerset, Sugarland came from independent baseball. The other teams are all part of the structure. So I would expect that there likely will be at some point a recommendation that comes from the board of trustees, the negotiating committee, whatever, that basically says we've reviewed this contract, this license, whatever it is, and we either recommend X or we recommend Y. And at some point in that, or maybe, maybe, again, this is speculative on my part, but maybe many of the teams band together and say the negotiating committee for us, or maybe they already formed this executive committee of an MILB officials, owners, and MLB officials. And there's a recommendation, hey, could we tweak this one thing in the license? Could we tweak these two things and make it more amenable to us? Those kind of things could happen. Then the question becomes, will MLB continue to negotiate and tweak those things? Or are they saying, no, 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 this is your license, take it or leave it. We don't know the answer to those things right now. But that's where I think a lot of this is going to go on. There's going to be a lot of attorneys, a lot of billable hours coming over the next uh, couple of weeks because it, these are multi-million dollar franchise, you know, franchises. You're going to want to have an attorney go through this with a fine-tooth comb to make sure that you understand everything that you are agreed to. Once again, there's a lot still to be done. Nothing is locked in. This is part of that. JJ, there are 11 full-season affiliated teams that did not receive invitations. Uh, the Jackson Generals and Trenton Thunder, formerly of AA. Charlotte Stone Crabs, Florida Fire Frogs, Frederick Keys, formerly of High Class A. The Burlington Bees, Clinton Lumber Kings, Hagerstown Suns, Lexington Legends, Kane County Cougars, West Virginia Power, formerly of Low Class A. And then we'll have a 12th team, one of Fresno and Lancaster. You also have some short season teams that were not included in some of these new summer wood bat college league teams, Lowell Spinners, the Vermont Lake Monsters, clubs like those are examples. What do those teams do now? That's the story we got coming up at baseballamerica.com right now. Um, it's going to be different answers for different teams. Um, MLB from day one of this has publicly pronounced that they expect, intend, promise, I would say, that there will be baseball at least offered, viable, as they would describe it, high-level baseball offered to every market that lost affiliated baseball in this. And I say offered because, like, we have Staten Island. One of the things, if you are going to, let's say right now, there's many teams who are looking at these partner leagues, these independent leagues, and seeing, you know, the partner leagues, am I – is there a fit here? Is there a fit there? And MLB has indicated if you're one of the teams who was left out of the 120, they'll pay your way in. So normally there's an expansion fee to enter the Frontier League or the American Association or the Atlantic League. MLB is going to pay that. Now MLB will pay that. They are also going, you are going to sign something in doing so that says that you are not going to sue Major League Baseball. You absolve them of any legal you know, liabilities and you accept, you know, that you are being paid, your, your way is being paid in. We've already had a team, Staten Island Yankees, have sued the New York Yankees in Major League Baseball, and essentially the New York, especially the New York Yankees, and they've done so saying, we're not going to, we were offered these alternatives, we're saying no, we're suing. So that is one option that is out there. Now, when I say opportunity, 
That doesn't necessarily even mean that Staten Island is not going to have baseball in 2021 because it's possible that some other entity will field an, you know, a partner league team or a draft league team or whatever. There's other possibilities. But a lot of those teams are looking through that. Story we got going up at baseballamerica.com by the time you're, it'll be up there by the time you're listening to this podcast. Like there's example, like the Lexington Legends. The Legends are left out of the South Atlantic League. They've been there since 2001. However, during the coronavirus shutdown that, that wiped out all minor league baseball in 2020, they formed the Battle of the Bourbon Trail with the nearby Florence Yalls. And Florence is about as far north as you can go and still be the Yalls. As I say this to someone from Georgia, where Yall is still very much part of my vocabulary. But the Yalls, which were an independent team in the Frontier League, and the Lexington Legends formed a four-team league, two teams in each city, and they played each other back and forth, 60 miles, I think, up and down the road. And the Legends loved it. They had Brandon Phillips there. They had Ben Revere. They had a variety of other ex-major leaguers with ties to the area, ex-Kentucky players, ex-Louisville players who had ties to the area. And they're kind of excited about the idea of being in a professional partner league where they get to pick their players, where they can make an emphasis on ex-major leaguers who may be an ex-Cincinnati Red here, uh, ex-Kentucky Wildcat there, a Louisville Cardinal here, players who came up through, you know, the Lexington, you know, high schools and things like that. There are teams who are actually excited about this. And there are other teams who are saying, well, this is the best of our bad options. So there's a a wide range of different enthusiasms, but most of these teams are going to either end up in a professional partner league or a Summerwood bat league. That's going to be the answer in most of the cases. I would say in the case of Port Charlotte, and the Florida Fire Frogs. I don't think would Major League Baseball said we're going to provide high-level baseball. I have not done any reporting on this, but I've, this is I've talked to people who secondhand have heard speculate the same thing I have here, which is I think that those teams it'll be checked off by saying, "Oh, you have, you know, you have the you have spring training." They're playing major league games there at these you know, facilities for February and March. And by the way, you have Gulf Coast League games here in June through you know, the end of the year. I think that those are going to be said. I don't think you're going to see like a Summerwood bat team spring up in those. They're going to say, no, 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 you already have baseball. So those will be a little bit weird, a little bit different than most of these teams. How viable actually is it if these teams do move to a partner league or summer Woodbat amateur league that they actually survive? Now, this isn't an issue with mm-hmm. summer Woodbat amateur league, but the partner leagues, again, they're now on the hook for the cost. Three to $400,000 is a lot of money for a minor league team that more often than not is a couple of rained out home dates away from finishing in the red or the black for a year. And also there are a lot of teams out here where fans love going to see players they know will be in the big leagues in the next year or two that are on their way up that were drafted that were high profile guys now they're going to college summer wood bat leagues where the cape cod league obviously has big name guys but once you get below that it's not exactly the top level guys that people get really excited to see and are going to see in the majors in a few years so realistically if some of these teams move into that how realistic is it that they actually do survive five ten years from now that is a great question, and that is, to me, the charge that MLB faces here, which is it's one thing to promise that you will provide baseball in these cities. 
it's another to say, you know, the, the, the real question is, is, is there still going to be baseball in most of these cities in 2025 and 2030? Now, I would say if you said that when we look at the dust clears, if we're talking about this 10 years from now and 39 of the 43 teams that were left out of the, the affiliation invites are still operating viably, there's probably going to be, a, you know, there, there always is some churn in this. There are, if we look back 10 years ago, there are teams from 10 years ago under the old system that don't have baseball in any way now. So there's a little bit of churn always. But if it is, if it is something where most of these teams fail, then, then MLB didn't really fulfill their promise of ensuring that these communities continue to have baseball. That said, uh, the second part of the answer I'll say is, is it depends on the operator. And that's been true about all of this. I, I've overused this example, but this is an example from my own life that, that I've seen. I, I covered minor league baseball, the Macon Braves in Macon, Georgia. Luther Williams Field built a WPA project field built in the 1930s, star of the first season of Brockmire, by the way. That's, that's Luther Williams Field. I spent a lot of time there. They had the Atlanta Braves low A affiliate. They had Andrew Jones. They had Chipper Jones come through. They had Raphael Furcal. Yes, by the way, I covered Andrew Jones. So that's why Andrew Jones came before the Hall of Famer Chipper Jones when I talk about this. But they had Raphael Furcal. They had Jason Marquis. They had, we could just go down. They, they had a ton of players. In Andrew Jones' case, Andrew Jones was playing every day in Macon. The next year, he's in the World Series hitting home runs. So they had that. That is the epitome of a dream if you are a Braves fan in Macon, Georgia. I can watch these guys on their way up. They now have a Summerwood Bat Coastal Plain League team, as does the Savannah Bananas, not far away at Grayson Stadium, which Luther Williams Field and Grayson Stadium, not a whole lot to separate them. Both of those are really old ballparks. They draw more now with those teams than they did when they had the, the Macon Braves, Atlanta Braves affiliate, and then the Mets affiliate in Savannah. Why? They have better operators. Nothing against, I have friends with some of the operators they had, you know, in Macon, obviously. But you can do this. Most fans, I hate to say the unpopular, we're, we're Baseball America. I hate to admit this. But if you're having a beer with a GM, a minor league GM at a ballpark or after a game, and you ask him or her, you say, how many, how many of the fans here know what your team's affiliated with? The answer is going to be the over-under of that. If you said half, you're the, take the under every time. There are fans who come to affiliated minor league baseball because they want to see the rising stars. We are absolutely, if you are listening to this podcast, you're probably one of those fans. But the vast majority of fans who go, they go because it's a fun night out. They go because they enjoy the show that goes on at the game. They, you know, they may show up in the second they may eat, they may drink, you know, they may drink, they may have the kids play in the bounce house, and they may leave in the seventh. And if you said who won the game, they have no clue, but they had a good time. And so you can still attract that. I mean, that's not going to change. But again, it comes down to the operator and you are losing something. I don't want to make it sound like, I mean, good, we're Baseball America. You will absolutely, I feel right now, if you're a fan of prospects, and you're in Clinton, you know, you're in Clinton, you know, Iowa, Burlington, you're in one of these cities. 
it's not going to be the same. I, I don't want to lie to you. It's not going to be the same. You will have gone from seeing Midwest League players who are, some of those will be in the majors in a year and a half to two years to players, whatever situation they choose, who are at best much further away. And in some cases are, when you say further away, they're never going to get there. That is absolutely going to be true in some of these cities. However, that doesn't mean, you know, when we talk about, I, I wrote a column about this. We talk about the golden age of baseball, minor league baseball. In the late forties, we had 470 minor league teams around the country, which is insane and amazing. But a Summerwood bat team now, the quality of play is probably significantly better than a class D league team that was playing in 1947, 48, which was really semi-pro baseball. Kyle, I, you know, I will, you know, not me, cause I'm not that good. The semi-pro leagues that you've played in are the same or similar caliber to what was called minor league baseball back then. And so we do still have, again, I'm going to put a little bright face on this, not because I'm shilling for anything, but just because I love minor league baseball history and I try to study it. We have right now, yes, it's going to be 120 full season affiliated clubs. It's probably going to be 45, 50-ish professional partner leagues. Yeah, more than that, actually, Pioneer, maybe 60. You're going to have probably 200 Summerwood bat. You're going to have another 200 plus Division I baseball programs, really close to 300. You're going to have beyond that junior college, NJCAA. You're going to have NAIA, Division II, Division III there's still going to be a metric ton of high level baseball around the country to go to. But it is true that again, don't discount the fact that it also does mean if I go to an Appalachian league game next year, which I will COVID allowing, you're going to be watching not the twins, you know, prospects who are five years away. You're going to be watching guys who hope to be drafted in a year. That's a different story, but it is hopefully hopefully for every baseball fan involved, still high-level baseball that hopefully is done in a way that people will continue to support because I want baseball to stay in these communities. Of these 11 full-season affiliated teams that did not receive invitations, and again, the 12th mm -hmm. to be determined, why these 11? Why, well, why these 12 once we get to 12? Mm -hmm. What determined who got the invite and who didn't? A lot of different factors. So story up at baseballamerica.com, you can read kind of in depth on this, that there are four factors that I would say are the most important factors. The ones that MLB laid out publicly from the start was facilities, quality of facility, and geography. You could have the best stadium in the country. And I hate to say it, but if you put it in the middle of South Dakota, it's going to be really hard to figure out a way to make it an easy, you know, like fit in one of the leagues that they wanted to have around. So facility standards do matter, but only limit geography. They wanted to move. They wanted the leagues themselves to be closer together. So there would be less travel for players. So there would be less long bus rides and all that, but they also wanted to generally, they wanted the MLB teams to have their affiliates closer by. They did not want, the extreme example, we talked about Fresno. They did not want the Washington Nationals to have a AAA franchise in Fresno, which meant they didn't send many of their better minor league relievers to Fresno because they couldn't bring them up in time if they had an injury or they wore out the bullpen in D.C. that night. You wouldn't be able to get to Fresno in time for the game the next day. They kept them in Harrisburg for that reason. 
They wanted to eliminate that. Those were the public pronouncements of what their logic was. There was one that ended up trumping that. The most important factor was, what does your MLB team want? They went to all 30 MLB teams. And the first and overriding rule of this was, if you have an affiliate, if you're an MLB team and this team is your affiliate, you get first claim to them. Doesn't matter geography, doesn't matter if there's another team closer by. If you're the Toronto Blue Jays and you want the only minor league franchise and affiliate baseball in Canada to be in your organization, you can have them. Even if Vancouver is literally the furthest distance possible in minor league baseball from their low A affiliate in Dunedin, Florida State League's now Dunedin, you know, is the low A. And it's as far as you can almost get. You're going all the way across country to get, if you get promoted from high A in Vancouver, you go across the country to New Hampshire, another 3,000 miles away. You can do that if you wanted to. Those MLB team desires, doesn't mean everyone got exactly what they wanted, but they got to hold on to what they already had if they wanted to. And then the fourth factor that is kind of the subtext of all this is political considerations. There were senators who I really should say staff of senators, but in some cases, actually the senators themselves who worked really hard to keep affiliated baseball in their states. Didn't always work. But when you look at, for example, you look at New York, New York kept, they didn't keep it all, but they kept a lot of affiliated baseball. And the name Chuck Schumer kept popping up a lot when I talked to people over the last six months. You look at Iowa, Iowa didn't keep it all, but they kept a lot of affiliated baseball. And the name Chuck Grassley popped up a lot when I was talking to people over the last six months. So there are political considerations. So if the teams that were left out, they likely were in one of those. But I got to add a fifth that was kind of a subtext factor is you got to have a partner at the end of the day. You know, at the end of the night, you got to have a partner. The, the, the lights are going on, it's last call. Some of these teams just ended up even if they seem to match geography, they seem to match facilities. But at the end of the day, if they didn't have an MLB team who said, yes, I want to be in that place, well, then you may end up on the outs. And like, again, Trenton, Trenton ends up out because the Yankees said they wanted to go somewhere else. And by the time that happened, everyone else had kind of found their partner already. One of the other best examples of this, how major league teams, their desires trumped even stadium facilities and geography actually is the Lancaster situation. So for those who don't know the California league as well, Lancaster is a much, much, much newer and much, much, much nicer facility than what's in either Visalia or Modesto. Visalia and Modesto received invitations. Further, Lancaster is closer other teams in the South Division of the California League than Visalia is to any of the other Northern Division teams in the California League. Visalia's closest team is more than a two-hour drive away up in Modesto, whereas Lancaster, they can get to all of the other California League South Division affiliates within a two-hour time frame. So from a stadium facilities and geography standpoint, Lancaster is an easy pick over Visalia and potentially Modesto as well. However, Part of this was Major League Baseball reached out to farm directors and said, where do you like playing? Where do you want to play? And teams do not like playing in Lancaster because there's high winds, you're at a little bit of elevation, and it's a launching pad. 
Teams hate sending their pitchers there. Their hitters get into bad habits. They don't want to play in, in those conditions. And that is why Lancaster, as of right now, not only doesn't have an invitation, but it's kind of the plan B in case things fall through with Fresno. And I just think that to me is the ultimate example of there are some cases here where stadium facilities and geography, even though they made more mm-hmm. sense, that wasn't enough. The, the thing I love with that, pal, is, is I'm a little disappointed that you didn't drop in and I'm going to get my references wrong. But I love that the geography of, of, of California, this is the part you were born to play. I'm just a little bummed, though, that we didn't have you get know, the 10 or the 20, you know, like worked into there, you know, with it. But you're right. That's exactly the case. Lancaster has done. I, this leads in. This, this is a perfect segue into something I, I did want to make sure that we took covered in this podcast. Lancaster's done everything right. They geography wise, they're fine. Facility wise, again, like you said, you've you've seen that facility many a time. The problem they have is they haven't been able to figure out a way to construct something that stops there from being 40 mile an hour winds that blow out that basically mean that you can watch the careers of pitchers like Mark Appel basically shriveling, you know, pitch by pitch as their ERA climbs from six to eight to ten. That's the problem they have. That's outside of their control. And that's the thing that I'd also, but that ties in there, which is, is this is the thing that I don't want people to lose sight of. There are a lot of teams today that are excited they got invitations. There are other teams who, like I've said, Lexington looks at this and says, you know what? We're going to make the best of this opportunity. We think we can really make this work. The really rough part of this though is, is that there are people as you would put it, as we hear all, you know, if we were at the winter meetings, we'd hear about that's a good baseball person, good baseball people who have devoted years of their lives to baseball. And I say this, we're both two on this podcast who we love baseball and we spend a lot of time on baseball, but people who I can think of several names in my head of people who that's what they've done. They want to work in baseball. And a lot of cases want to work in baseball in a community that they love also. And the sad fact of this, even if baseball, which I expect will, remains in many of these cities, I'll just lay out the unfortunate cold economic facts of it. If you go from being an affiliated team that plays 140 games a year to being a Summerwood bat team that plays a 68 or a 72 or a 66 game or a 60 game schedule, you will not staff that at the same level as you did before. You would be crazy to do so. Minor league baseball, baseball is a, how many, especially at the lower, you know, beyond below the major leagues, baseball is a sport where the question is how many people can we bring through the gates every night that we're open? And if you had 70 home dates and now you have 30, 35, 38, whatever it is, you're not going to bring in as much revenue. It's not possible. And what that means is, is that there are going to be people who were, you know what? We had an assistant GM before. We can't afford an assistant GM now. Or you know what? We had two salespeople before. We have one now. Or that was a full-time job. Now it's a seasonal job. And I, you know, our hearts go out to people who, whether it's today, whether it's, I mean, again, it's been a very rough year for people in minor league baseball. 
there have been a lot of people who over this past nine months have come to the realization, do I need to get out of the game? And I really feel, and I know you do too, Kyle, for all those people who, again, I feel for everyone in Lancaster right now who is sitting in a limbo, you know, not knowing what is our future going to be. I feel for everyone who's been telling me over the last two months, please let's get to the 120 invites or let's get to the 120 because I, I need, I don't know if it, it, it would describe this peace of mind, but I need some finality to this so that I understand what my 2021 looks like. And that's the part of this. Again, there are players who are going to be released because there used to be a short season affiliate and there's not. Now there are other players who are going to make, who are going to get sent to low A and they're going to make more money than they would have made last year too. But again, I do think we have to make sure that we do touch on that in this podcast because it is a very important part of this, which is there are people who've devoted a good bit of their lives to baseball who the dream ended this week or was it last, you know, two months ago or whatever it is. And we really do feel for them. Yeah, there's no question. I think the most important thing to remember in all this is we're talking about people, you know, we're throwing out city names, team names, MLB as an entity, MILB as, as an entity, but at its core, it's people. And, uh, you know, a lot of people are hurting today and we will see what the long-term ramifications of everything that happened today are. But in the meantime, JJ, we really, really appreciate you jumping on to talk us through some of this, explain some of what's going on, what's coming next. And now we just have to see what the league structures are. As you mentioned, we should find out about that sometime in January and February. And then we will get the new minor leagues playing, hopefully in April, depending on the state of the country and the coronavirus pandemic. But if nothing else, uh, there's a little more finality, as you said today, about what teams are at least going to be invited to the dance. And then we have to see what happens. Uh, JJ, any final thoughts? I think, again, I think you've laid this out well, which is we're not done here. Uh, You know, this is a big step, but it's probably, to be honest, not as big a step as the step where you say, here's the 120, here's the league structure, here's schedules. The day you see schedules for minor league teams for 2021 is the day you know that basically, okay, this is kind of finalized. But even then, you know, I this is a story that is going to develop over the next five to 10 years. This is teams are getting 10 year professional development licenses. And every time anything like this has happened in baseball, there are unexpected consequences. There are parts of this that no matter how well you think it through, no one knows yet things are going to happen. And so I guess what I'm saying with that is, is, Stay tuned. This is going to continue to be a very significant story for not just many weeks and months to come, but years to come, because we just saw today the laying out of the most massive restructuring of the minor leagues. You could argue since 1962 and the restructuring and the elimination of class BCD, but you could argue really since Branch Rickey kind of came up with the idea of, you know what? I'd love to affiliate and line up all these teams and have them provide players to me. You can really say it's the most, and that was kind of organic. This is not organic. This is, you know, much more top-down structured. It is one of the most significant restructurings of minor league baseball we have ever seen. We will ever see. It's probably the biggest one of our lifetime. And so we will, 
We promise at Baseball America, we're not going anywhere. This is something that we're going to cover in depth year round for years to come. Absolutely. All right. Well, JJ, thank you so much for joining us. This has been another edition of the Baseball America podcast. Go ahead and give us a review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, whatever platform you're listening on. We'd love to hear from you. For JJ Cooper, I'm Kyle Glazer. Thanks for listening. Stay safe, everybody. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medella is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter, and Medella is your reward. Medella, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois.